Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, we're on the third key tonight, but before we get started, last week I talked to you about uh, what happened when we, we had the key of dying. And I talked to you about my bass fishing stuff, and I talked to you about our TV. And Dinah was not here to defend herself. And so before I even get started tonight, I want Dinah to come up and just share with you what that, those times in our life and how God used it in our marriage. So, Dinah, this is Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I know you're confused as to how this works. <laughs> well, first of all, I would like to say it's so good. <clears throat> Thank you, dear, back there. It is so good to have each one of you here tonight. And I, I just love... I love you all, and I don't even know some of you, but just when you see faces and you've been together sharing God's Word and studying His Word together, God just puts that love in your heart for one another, and I thank you for coming. I didn't know if we'd have many tonight because I thought it was kind of rainy and snowy today, and um, maybe you would just stay home, but you came, and I thank God for that. Well, Wayne said earlier today, he said, now, why don't you begin and close tonight? And I, but I didn't know he had told you already that that's what I was going to do. So all day I was saying, no, you begin, and then I'll close. <laughs> but he kept saying, you need to begin, and then I'll close. And I get here, and everybody already knows. <laughs> so I will begin. And I said, well, after you already told everyone how and what happened, then I would only have three or four sentences to begin with. So I just prayed and asked God to reveal to my heart and let me remember those things. And I know we have some young ones in here and then we have some older ones and middle-aged folks. And um, it seems like we're talking a lot about how salvation and Jesus Christ living in him and allowing his life to live through us affected our marriage. And there are times when, when we're with groups of people. I was 28 years old when I got saved and I always think there could be someone in a room this size, this group of people that could, there could be someone that did not know Jesus Christ personally. And if that would be the case, please don't ever let pride stand in the way and don't ever let the devil talk you out of talking with someone that can pray with you and can lead you to Jesus Christ. Well, I remember after we had both been saved, we did not know that, that the Bible, that God had placed so many truths in his word and so many um, aspects of how Christians are supposed to live their lives yielded to him. And we started out trying to live our lives for ourselves. 
And you know, our flesh, you know this about yourself already. It's so wicked and it's so deceitful and it wants its own way. And our flesh is very selfish. And this is the way we began our marriage. So after we got saved, we told the Lord that we wanted him and our heart's desire was to lead us in all aspects of our life. And for us to, we just wanted to yield everything to him. And we, we told him we didn't know his word and we ask him to show us things and uh, things about our finances and I will talk to you about that tonight after Wayne speaks but just in how to raise our children how to love one another and like I said we had tried to do that ourselves and we found that we were failing miserably well I figured up today that um, Stephen was about four years old when we felt that God was leading us to give up our television and Stephanie was six and a half so I just remember that um, Wayne had really been listening to the Lord, and we had been married a few years before we were saved, and, and um, I could tell that God was changing him. And whenever he would bring up something about, let's pray about this, and I was so eager because I so loved the man that God had changed him into be. And um, I remember Stephanie being six and a half when we didn't have TV, and we have TV now, so we're not into that. That's just an area that God spoke to us in our lives. And um, we had, um, we watched Stephanie get a little cassette recorder, remember those <laughs> in the ancient days? I know Dave remembers those. And um, <clears throat> she would um, go in her bedroom, whereas before she'd been watching TV, but she would go in her bedroom and she would act like the characters of Winnie the Pooh. And she would record this on her cassette recorder and then we would listen to it at night <clears throat> excuse me and she would have things like the rain the sound of the rain and she would make that sound and and all of the little characters and then she also did this with the movie Charlotte's Web so we saw our children getting much more creative and as a family we read um, children's Bible stories together and books together and we played games and Wayne talked to you about that and we laughed and we talked so much more about the Lord than we had and Wayne and I grew closer to one another because we were able to spend time together <clears throat> and I don't know if you told them about staying up late at night watching Kentucky uh, basketball <clears throat> so he would stay up till 2 2 30 in the morning watching that and then um, so it was very nice to have him come to bed on time like like he should <laughs> Well, um, the other thing that I wanted to share with you is when, when the Lord began working in Wayne's heart, um, I began to observe very carefully his behavior, and I wanted to see if it would last. And I really thought, I think I really like this man. <laughs> I like him. He's, he's paying me uh, more attention. He's being more attentive to God's word and to what God says. And, and he, he prayed with me, and he was reading the Bible. And I knew that if God would speak to him, then God would show him how to lead our family. And um, we had trouble with our finances, and, and I'll share that with you at the end of the session. But um, I had grown bitter, and I was full of anger, and I was resentful toward him because he worked very hard from Sunday till Friday. And then on Saturday, when he should have been at home <coughs> with us and the family, he chose to go um, bass fish. And I don't know if any of you, do any of your wives relate to anything I'm saying? <coughs> Some? Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, he's re Phil has repented, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, when, when Wayne gave away his bass fishing equipment and he was staying at home with a family, then I knew that I had to work on my heart. And God showed me later on that when he cleaned up his act before the Lord and he repented of his sins, then God was then free to move on me because he was no longer my enemy. He was not in my way. Now I had to deal with God the Father. So any time in your marriages, no matter how long you've been married, if you will just say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I blew it again. And you might say that and get it all right, and then 15 minutes later you're saying it again. But oh, the joy of having died to ourselves and watching God make our marriage come alive. It's, we have such a sweet time. And the first week after we had our evening in here, we... We could have gotten upset over something. I don't even know what it was. And I said, you know what? I said, God may be trying to test us on everything we're saying. So I said, let's be aware of that. So we have been. But um, I really think that God has given us the marriage that he intended for us to have. And it's possible in relationships if you have two people yielding to Christ moment by moment. And um, I just remember how God worked on me. And, and I didn't know these verses when I uh, asked God to forgive me and to cleanse me from being bitter and angry with him. But I've learned these verses from Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32. <clears throat> and it says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32 reads like this, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And we all know the little song, and if I could sing, I would sing it to you, but <clears throat> it's always we're pointing our finger at someone else. We're pointing our finger at our spouse, and because we're not joyful or because we're not satisfied, it must be their fault. But I learned that <clears throat> little song, and I've said it so often in my own heart, it's not my brother and it's not my sister. But it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Okay. Thanks, man. Does that remind you of anything? We uh, have drawn something up here every week. What's, what, what is that? And when you, your spouse over here, or over here, whatever, is the, you think that's the problem. You've missed the whole thing because you grow this way towards him, both of you, and he draws you closer and closer and closer in the meantime. And this is where people mess up. Lord, change them uh, instead of Lord, change me. And the dying and the growing fit like a glove. It's like a hand in glove. You, you could do either one of them first. Of course, you know I rearranged them, <laughs> but you can do either one of them first. So tonight, the key then that we're talking about is Diane and I had to first of all learn to grow in our faith in the Lord. Individually, on the triangle, individually. I couldn't grow her and she couldn't grow me. I had to go at my pace, she'd go at her pace. But what God does is the rest of it. He begins to fill in the blanks as you begin to walk with the Lord. So this third key tonight is the key of growing. And thanks, Diana. It, we, I just wanted to make sure, because sometimes I told you last week when I tell a story... <laughs> Uh, Dinah always will straighten me out if I, if I go too far off to this side or that side. But I just remember the changes that came when uh, those things started happening. And by the way, they weren't prayed for. 
I didn't say, Lord, change our marriage. I said, Lord, change me. And God was speaking to me. But in the meantime, the marriage was getting better and better. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. There's a pattern here <laughs> if we just look at it. Now, the key of growing. Now, I want to start you off by just talking with you a little bit. The, uh, children are cute. Would you all all agree? Any grandparents in here? Awesome. Grandparents with perfect marriages. That's who comes to my classes. <clears throat> you know, uh, Stephen was with us just a few days ago. I had a board meeting. My son-in-law also was on there. So we were all together. And he was telling me, he said, when he went home, he bought uh, little Luke and Ellie, which are the older ones. That's four and three. He bought them a little set of walkie-talkies. <clears throat> well, they know nothing about a walkie-talkie. So he takes them to them <laughs> and said, one of, one of the times, Ellie got both of them. And Luke said, you stole my walkie-talkie. He can't say walkie-talkie. <clears throat> and what they were doing, they'd go in different parts of the house. <laughs> And they'd push the button down and start yelling at each other. They didn't know to let the button off. And so they're, they're just not doing them a bit of good, you know. And you're just watching them do that kind of thing. I love being around, around kids. Little Luke is into uh, Buzz Lightyear. You know, in Toy Story. I've seen Toy Story about 32 times with Luke. And he just loves that. But he used to be with Woody. He calls him Woody. And uh, they got him to wear a hat at the beach because they said it was a cowboy hat. It was Woody. You know, it wasn't a cowboy. It was one of those fold-up things, but he kept the sun off of him. He wore it thinking it was a cowboy hat. And now he's Buzz Lightyear. He's got him a little outfit. And Stephen said he walks in the door and he says, Hey, Luke. He said, Don't talk loud to me. I'm Buzz Lightyear. And he touches the thing and the little light goes shooting out. <laughs> you love kids. But every parent that's ever had a child never wants that child not to grow up. Now they say they all oh, wish they wouldn't grow up. That's, that, that's exactly wrong. They want that child to grow up. You and I know of the horrific situations of, of parents that have had children that can't grow up and, and they only live a short time and it's a very tragic, tragic situation. Well, it's the same way in the Christian life. We've got to grow up and that's what the whole thing's about. We're birthed into the kingdom of God and we, didn't, we start growing from that point. The problem is we can fight the process and you say, well, Wayne, what's that got to do with marriage? It reflects itself right back in to our marriages. That's what we want to look at tonight. If you're not growing, then something's wrong on one side of the triangle. Something's static. Christianity is not static. It's a birth. It's a life. It's a journey forever, by the way. And while we're down here, we're learning to be what God says we already are. But we've got to grow. Salvation begins the process of growth in our life. And things don't end at salvation. They begin. And when you start understanding that, oh, I got you. So in other words, I don't come in knowing everything. No, you know the one who does know everything. And now you need to start learning how to relate to him, how to walk with him. And uh, just like in your physical growth, you need food. Is that not correct? <laughs> Looking at most of you, you haven't missed many meals. Now, if I looked in the mirror, I could say the same thing. I've got to tell you a funny story. I'm not here to offend anybody. Please understand. If you get offended, you've offended yourself. I'm not trying to offend anybody. But I've got to tell you a funny thing that I did one time. I was in Chattanooga at Woodland Park and <clears throat> when I pastored there. And there's this gal there. Bless her heart. She's one of the funniest kids in the church. And she was sort of stout. Anyway, she was standing there. She had a microphone in her hand. I haven't even seen her. I don't know if she's in the auditorium or not. I'm looking up above her at the stage, and the minister of music was there that night, <laughs> said something to me, and I said, well, don't say that yet. Fat lady hadn't sung yet. When she's standing there with the microphone ready to practice her song for the night, 
She looked at me and I said, oh, no. <laughs> to this day, if I see her, she'll say, you owe me. <laughs> Most of us, if we looked around in our mirror, we'd find out we hadn't missed many meals. Well, that's the way it is with, with, with spiritual growth. And the food, you've got to understand what the food is. The food's the Word of God. And you see, you can't live without your spiritual refrigerator, which is the Word of God. That's the only thing that grows you in your Christian life. Now, we're going to focus on 1 Peter chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3. But I want you to first of all look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1, 2, and 3. And I've told you many times about that city in Michigan is called Hell. You know, where are you from? Hell. What church you go to? First Baptist Church, Hell. Well, anyway, if you ask Paul what church would qualify, this would be the church of Corinth. Let me show you something here. What was wrong with them? I want you to see this. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. Now, this is interesting to me. You couldn't hear me on a spiritual level. Does that mean he watered it down? Absolutely not. He says later on he preached the whole counsel of the Word of God to them. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking so much about the speaking as much as their hearing and their understanding. He says, but as to men of flesh, that means you're fleshly. We would use the word today humanistic. You're thinking like the world thinks. Remember what Romans says? Don't be conformed to this world, the system of this world. Don't think like they think. Watch. As to infants in what? In Christ. So they're babies in Christ. They're, they're still nursery believers. Now, he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you're not able to receive it. Yet indeed, even now you're not yet able. He goes back and says, you're still that way. For you're still fleshly. Now, how do you know? How do you know somebody is not growing in the Lord? Whether it be in their individual walk or whether it be in the church or whether it be in their family, watch what he says. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? One of the things we've got to understand is when we have conflicts in a marriage, we've got to look at ourselves first. We've got to find out. Who's not growing in the Lord? Because strife, contention, and by the way, in a church, when you start seeing division, look out. You've got a group of people that are not willing to grow in the Lord. As a result, the division comes out. You remember where it says love covers? Love covers means when you start walking with the Lord and God produces the Holy Spirit in your life, it covers that up. It's still there. It's still there. But it sort of shuts it down. It's like it, it kind of holds it down. But when people choose not to grow in the Lord Jesus, what happens is that starts popping up everywhere. It's everywhere. Division, uh, judgmental attitudes, you name it. Strife, contention, that's a picture of people not growing in the Lord. That's exactly how he knew these were baby Christians. I was in a Costco or Sam's one day, and I found it gallon jug i may have told you about that gallon jug of adult pacifiers and i bought it <laughs> when people start coming up yak 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 i just want to say take that sucker and go suck on it for a while and when you grow up come back and maybe we'll talk we, we somehow just want to be pampered as babies as far as we can go paul said i told you back then and back then you couldn't receive it look you, you can't even receive it now and look at the problems in the church of Corinth in, in the first Corinthians. Incredible uh, mess that they were in. They couldn't stomach the deep truths of the Word of God, full of jealousy with each other, full of strife, and full of division. Now, take that into a marriage. Take that into a marriage situation. When somebody in the marriage is not growing, 
it's going to do what? It's going to start immediately centering around themselves, and that's where your conflicts start originating. Because self is not being fed. Self is not being pleased. If you took the word sin, what's the middle letter? There's your problem. Take the word pride, what's your middle letter? There's your problem. And that's where sin is. If you took that out, you don't even have a word for sin. You don't even have a word for pride. And that's the problem. If we would quit looking at, I've got to do this, 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 and this, and start looking at the Lord and saying, God, I need to know you. I need to grow up. I need to start maturing as a believer. It'd be incredible what's going to happen in your marriage. And you didn't even think that that was the problem. We think it's always think it's over here when it's really in here. Now, this is the same problem we had in Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews 5, 12 through 13. Exact same thing is going on. And remember the context of Hebrews is uh, these were Jewish believers and they were being persecuted and because of pressure was on them. They're going to go back to earthly priests and earthly sacrifices. The temple's still standing, written about A.D. 63. They didn't know that it went seven years that they were all going to be destroyed. In fact, he said it's dying away and it's about to disappear. In A.D. 70, it disappeared. They couldn't go to the temple anymore. It wasn't one. They destroyed it. Titus came in, leveled the city, and leveled the temple. But in Hebrews 5, 12 and 13, for though by this time, does that echo what he said to the Corinthians? By this time, you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk. What do you say to the Corinthians? And not solid food. You've turned, you've come complete circle. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is a what? An infant. What I'm trying to help you see is that there can be believers that can go back into that nursery. And the moment you want your own way, the moment that you start thinking about me, me, my, my, and the I gets in the, in the middle of it again, what you've done is just retreated right back into the nursery. And at that point, you've, you've got to realize the condition that you're in. That's, that's three-fourths of what we're talking about. Just like the Corinthians, because of spiritual negligence, they couldn't handle the deep things of God. They couldn't handle it. Break it down, Wayne, and make it really simple because I can't get it. Well, that's what happens when a person's not growing in the Lord. He can't spiritually hear the deep things of God. And then your division and all the other things that begin to happen that start surfacing in, as, as the Bible tells us. And I bring these two contexts up for a reason, not only to tell you that there can be spiritual immaturity in the Christian life. There can be that. Uh, and listen, your flesh will let you be a deacon. Your flesh will let you teach a Sunday school class or a connections class. Your, your flesh will let you do a lot of things as long as it has its own way. Look out, because there's a real religious side to be to flesh as well as there's a rebellious side. But I want you to see that. But the second thing I want you to see is when, when the Word of God mentions milk, it's not always that which is uh, the shallow things, the ABCs of the faith. That's not always talking about that. Because when we look at First Peter, he's going to use the same term for milk. But what he's going to be talking about there is different than these other two contexts. He's going to be talking about the Word of God being the absolute nourishment of your spiritual walk, the whole counsel of the Word of God. So I want to make sure you realize when you read it in First Peter, don't automatically associate it with First Corinthians 3 or Hebrews because he's talking about something different in first peter all right so turn to first peter chapter one to start off with first peter now let me give you the context of what's going on here they're going through horrible times uh you can relate this if you want to apply it 
if you're, a, if you're a couple and you're going through some tough times, maybe job situation, maybe economy, whatever it is, look out. When you're under pressure is when you tend to be vulnerable to go back to fleshly living. Look out. That's exactly what's happening here in 1 Peter. Nero, the history goes back to Nero burned the city of Rome. He was an emperor of Rome. Why? Because he wanted to build some new, new buildings and there wasn't any way to do it and let's get rid of the other ones. So he burns it down and guess what? He blames the Christians for it. <laughs> you talk about having a bad day. These Christians were put on poles soaked in oil and used as torches while the orgies would go on beneath them. This was some of the worst persecution you can find anywhere in God's Word. And it wasn't even at that time documented as well as it is in God's Word. It came, started coming out that this was going on a little later on. They would put them in the, in the lion's dens and, and out in the middle of arenas and turn these lions loose and they'd have animal skins on them and these lions would come and people would pay to go see it. And the Christians would walk out holding hands. That's, that's some of the greatest testimonies of Christianity. They'd walk out holding hands, singing the great hymns of the uh, Psalms of the faith. Back then would be a psalm, but the hymns of the faith. And this was some awesome things that began to happen during that time to give, give people a witness. They were burned alive at the stake, on and on and on. This is what's going on. This is why Peter wrote this epistle. And what he's trying to tell them is God's grace is sufficient no matter what you go through. So that gives you a little bit of background. Look in verse 22 of chapter 1. Now I want you to watch the wording here. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. Now it's in a tense. It means at a certain point of time you purified your soul. What's he talking about? He's talking about salvation. You're saved. He's writing to believers here. He says, for a sincere love of the brethren. Now I want you to understand. Until you're saved, you cannot love anybody. Whatever Nashville calls love, falling in love with you, that's not love in Scripture. Love in Scripture is not an emotion. Does it involve emotions? Yes, but that's the caboose. Love in Scripture is an absolute devotion to doing what's best for somebody else, no matter what it costs you. That's what love is in Scripture. It's not what you think. There are four words for love in the Greek language, and one of them never used. You know what that word is? Eros, and eros is erotic, and it's never even used in Scripture. Isn't it funny? You ask somebody what love is today, that's the first place their mind goes to, and it's not even in God's Word. God doesn't give it time of day. So the love that he's talking about here is not just a feeling. It certainly involves that, but it's more of a devotion to somebody, and you cannot produce that. Until you have been saved, you have purified your souls, now you cannot fervently love anybody. That's in the church. That's in your marriage. That's wherever you go. That's just why we go back to this triangle. Well, he says, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again. And last, last time we were together, the first time, first key we talked about, I said born again is only mentioned two times. And I meant to say in John. <laughs> but I think I said in Scripture. So let me correct myself. It's four times. Peter uses it twice. John uses it twice. I don't know what. Sometimes I have these senior moments. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable. Now remember the seed that we've been talking about in covenant. But imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus is the living word, and what he speaks is the written word. And that's how a person gets saved. It's not through a person's testimony. That'll inspire you. A testimony can inspire you to get into the word, but the word's got to convict you that you're born of bad seed before salvation can ever take place verse 24 now watch what he does here for all flesh is like grass now now think about it here he's talking about perishable seed and imperishable seed and he gives an illustration he said if you want to take flesh and perishable seed 
is kind of like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. One of the reasons I love it out here is we don't have to mow a lot of grass. But in the south, you've got a lot of grass. And in the springtime, oh boy, you sneeze your brains out. But the flowers and, and everything, this beautiful color, the flower of the grass. And everybody loves the flower of the grass. Beautiful. If, I'm from Virginia. And they have dogwoods lining the streets, pink and white dogwoods. And I was one of the few people that went to college was homesick for my city, much less for my family. I just loved the beauty of it. Man, springtime was just incredible. Fall, when the leaves would change, it's just beautiful. He says, like the flower grass. Now watch. The grass withers. Now you come in the springtime and you water the grass and it's growing great. What happens in August in the dog days when the sun's out and it's hot? Is really hot. What happens to that grass? What happens to the flower of the grass? It starts to wither and die. And the flower, he says, falls off. In other words, you put the heat to grass, and if it's of a perishable seed, it will wither. Where are they going through? Tough times. You build your life on anything that's perishable. You take the world's secular ideas and try to make work them into your marriage. You try anything else like that, it, and you put the heat on it, it'll wither. It will not hold up. But look at the comparison here. But the word of the Lord, which, by the way, we were born again from. The word of the Lord, how long does it endure? Forever. He's just giving you a comparison now of the difference. He says, now, guys, you're going through bad times. I know you're going through bad times. But I want you to know you're of good seed here. You're good seed. You've been born again of imperishable seed. You've been born again of the Word of God. Now, it'll hold you up if you just understand what it's trying to tell you. I, I, you know, I could say this, and I, I just fall over on the floor and beg people, get into the Word of God. If you don't get into the Word of God individually, your marriage will never be what God says it ought to be. Because that's the only thing that grows you. The only thing that grows you. I have a friend who prays an hour and a half. Almost every day. So when I pray for you, I thought, thank you so much. And I asked him, I said, how much time do you spend in the Word of God? You want to tell me? I'm thinking about getting doing that someday. But I hadn't quite had the time for it yet. And I asked him, who are you praying to? The wall? Because you get your vocabulary of how to pray from the Word of God. That's what strengthens your vocabulary to pray. If you don't know the word, what are we doing? Have you ever noticed sometimes your prayer life? Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at myself. I'm pointing to myself, but I'm also pointing at you too. Y'all, I'm going to be miserable. Y'all going to be miserable. Sometimes you have a grocery list. God, I want this, 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 this. Now, wait a minute. Is that really what God's all about? You know, see, that has a real effect. And I, I appreciate those who pray that way. Now, watch what he says. First of all, he tells them, all right, since you've been born again and you've been born again of imperishable seed, it will hold you up. Now, here's almost like a therefore. He says in, in verse 1 there of chapter 2, first thing he's going to tell them, stop behaving like you're not saved. <laughs> stop behaving like you're not saved. My mama, I told you that when, when she wanted my attention, buddy, it was Wayne Allen. And she got my attention. When she was affectionate towards me, it was wee-wee. I know, I know, I know. And I've told you that before. So far, y'all have been very nice not saying anything back to me. Putting off, he says, take off. He says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, therefore, there's your therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 
Look what he says. Like newborn babies, <laughs> long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. He says, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, that if is a first-class condition if, which means since you already have. There's no doubt here. These are believers. And what he's saying is, guys, you've been born of the right seed now. You've been born of the right seed. Now let me tell you something. First of all, stop living as if you haven't. The word take off, putting aside, in fact, should relate to a lot of us. We don't understand being filled with the Spirit, etc. Sometimes we can't understand taking something off, putting something on. We do that every day. Ephesians 4, 22 and 25, Colossians 3, 8, Hebrews 12, 1, James 1, 21, Romans 13, 12. It's used always to mean stop doing it. <laughs> Renounce this in your life, all right? Now, what are you supposed to put off? First thing you mentioned is the attitude that determines the rest of them. Now, let me just tell you this about Paul and Peter. When you ever see a, a list, like in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is, the first thing they mention is the key to the rest of them. Almost every single time. One time he reverses the list, and I'll show you that tonight. It's interesting. But they all build in each other. They feed right off of each other. So the fruit of the Spirit is one thing, love. It's a cluster. And all these things are a part of it. Characterizes it all the way down. Well, this is the same way here. So the first thing he mentions is the key to the rest of what he mentions here. He says, put aside all malice. Remember when Jesus wore our robe of humanity to the cross, and now we can wear his robe of, of righteousness? The robe of the flesh, the robe of humanity, the flesh, is what malice is all about. In fact, the Greek word is exactly that. It's, it's always used in reference to the evil intentions. Now, what do I mean by evil? Remember the I in the middle of the word sin. If it's I, it's evil. That's why he didn't come to make I better. He came to replace I. For it's not me, but it's Christ living in me. That's next week's homework. <laughs> it's Christ in us. He didn't come to make my flesh any better. Why? Because my flesh is going to die. I'm going to get a brand new body one day. And to inherit in the flesh are all the wicked desires, etc. And that's our battle right there. So malice is everything to do with the flesh. Malice is everything to do with me, my, I, it's a selfish way of living. Everything resolves around me, and that's evil in God's eyes. That's malice. It has an intention to it that's not good. I'll do what I need to do to get my own way. Now, out of it. what's the next word that he uses here? The next word he uses here is the word deceit. In other words, all this malice is there. And a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath... I want to show you a backwards list. Ephesians 4.31, I jumped ahead of myself. Let all bitterness, that's the end of it, that's the back end of it, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. <laughs> now, take the word malice at the end and he backs it up this way. You can just see what malice is. He starts off with, with uh, slander, talking about somebody. Have you ever said anything about your husband or wife behind their back and they don't know about it? And it was derogatory. Now watch. The next thing is uh, clamor. You know what clamor is? It's loud speaking. You ever notice when malice is there and you're already thinking bad things about the other person, probably said it, the next thing that comes out, you get start getting loud. You ever been in a house when somebody's upset with somebody and they get loud and louder and louder? And, all right, the next thing it, that he puts here is anger. Anger is orgy. Orgy means it's building it's building. It's building. 
And then wrath is when it's exploded. Now, that's some bad things that happen when wrath comes. That's when the heat of the moment, and it's all built up to a certain point, it blows. Now, whatever that means, I don't know. Depends on your personality. Depends on your temperament. It'll blow. And then bitterness sets in. And it's like a root that goes deep, which, which Hebrews says defiles everybody. So that's, that's a backwards way of looking at what malice is. But let's look at what Peter says that it is. First thing he says there is deceiving. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and it's deceit. Deceit is the word that, you know what it means today? If you go to Greece today and you wanted to go fishing, you'd go to the bait shop and you'd buy some, some deceit. <laughs> it's dolon. It's the word now for fish bait. And what a picture. What a picture. We used to go fishing at night, catfishing. My daddy knew a guy that had a big old tire place, and he had some big old truck tires that you couldn't use anymore. The treads had been run off of them. We'd go by and pick it up, put it in the trunk, take it down to the river. We'd get our rods and the stinkiest bait you've ever t used in your life because catfish love that. The bottom feeders, we'd throw those things out there. And, boy, you'd always get, try to get upwind. <laughs> you don't want to be downwind from a tire that's burning. We'd pour kerosene on it and light it, and it would burn all night long. And we'd fish for catfish all night long. I remember one time going home, and I forgot about the bait being in the trunk of my car. It was in August, and uh, I went to bed because I'd been up all night long. My daddy came home, and I thought I was, I, I, I didn't know if he was going to kill me or not, but he came real close. But we also nailed all the heads to the tree because you cut around them, and you, you strip them of the skin, and then you cut the heads off, and then you gut them, and we forgot and left them all on the tree, about 40-some of them. And uh, we had every cat from about six counties that was in the, <laughs> our backyard. But you know something about catfishing. The catfish, he, he's swimming around saying, whoa, I'm hungry. <laughs> kind of like me. Go prowl in the kitchen you know, in 24 during the commercial. And that catfish starts seeing this live. He sees this bait. All of a sudden, it's just hanging there. Nobody around. Monofilament line. You can't see the line. He doesn't see the hook that's in it. See, in deceit, it's, it looks good on the outside. And deceit is something that will deceive you, but you don't know that there's a hook on the inside. That catfish grabs that bait, boom, takes off down the river. He doesn't know that there's a pair of unseen hands in a world he's never been in before controlling his destiny. And after a certain time, you know, he clicks that thing over, and you know the rest of, the rest of the story. That's the word deceit. It's to deceive somebody. It's to say what they want to hear with a hook in it because you want something out of them. I told Stephanie when she was dating, I said, Stephanie, there's going to come a night. That old boy's going to walk up with you. are going to be in the right spot at the right time, and the moon's going to be out. And he's going to say, Stephanie, I love you. I said, man, you better not believe that redneck. You step up about 30 feet. You step back about 30 feet, and you ask that old boy what he means by love. I said, he may be saying what you want to hear, but he has a hook in it because he wants something from you that you don't want to give. Now, when your malice is present, that's the way it operates. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. Whatever I need to do to deceive you with the hook in it to get back out of it, my own personal benefit, that's when you know you're dealing with an immature believer who's either rebellious and won't grow, or he's maybe brand new and doesn't know how to grow. Something's going on, but the flesh is very dominant. It's a very self-centeredness that I want you to see. And the next three, they just flow <laughs> like a current. He says hypocrisy, envy, and slander. <laughs> slander came out in that other passage. Hypocrisy means to pretend that something is when it isn't. It's the opposite. 
You know, it came from a word in the secular world where they would have a play and a drama. You know how they used to do? They'd have a smile on a mask and they put it up and whee, even though you might be frowning behind it, and then have another one that's frowning, you know. And so whatever part you're playing, you had a mask. And what the word means, to judge somebody under something, to judge them under or behind a mask. You don't really know what is really being said. You don't really know why this, this person is being so nice. They want something, and they're using you to get it, but they're saying what you want to say to disarm your defenses so they can get what they want. And of course, the last word is slander, to speak against. And uh, if whatever it takes to get one's own way, they'll do. To make you look bad, to whatever they need to do, they will do. In the Old Testament, the word there for hypocrisy means uh, it's used of a false teacher. <laughs> and it means to say things that are pretty, say things that are pleasing. And that's the way false teachers, by the way, lure you in. Dinah knows that I watched TV last night, and I have been in a mess all day long. I got so upset with it. Here's what's bugging me. You know what a false teacher's like to me? It's like a weatherman. <laughs> he's always wrong, and everybody knows he's wrong, but everybody keeps listening to him. <laughs> and the crowds in this place, balconies packed, and I listen to hear something. And I hadn't heard anything yet. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. People, remember it says in the last days, men will not endure sound teaching. They will look for teachers that tickle their ears. Well, that's exactly what it was used for in the Old Testament. So when you, when you want something and you're not willing to die, as we talked last week, then you're not going to grow as you continue to manifest that selfish attitude. You've got to see it. That's why he says, if you're going to grow, get that garment off of you. Stop living as if you haven't been saved. You've been born again of imperishable seed. You're not like the rest of the world being born of perishable seed. You've been born again of imperishable seed. And the Word of God convicted you. And the Word of God will continue to hold you up. So when you look at this triangle and you get over to where you are, Start looking there first. Let me, let me turn you to Ephesians 4, 22. How do you put this garment off? How do you do that? Well, first of all, you, are, you have to recognize that it's there. And that's what confession is. You know what confession means, confessing your sins? Agreeing with God. God, you're exactly right. That's my flesh. You know, it's amazing. It says over in James, if any man lacks wisdom. You know what the problem with that verse is? For people reading it, they're not willing to admit they don't have it. <laughs> You've got to lack it before you can get it. It's like you've got to recognize this before the rest takes place. Ephesians 4.22, that in reference to your former manner of life, the way you used to live, your behavior, you lay aside the old self. Now, you've already done it in salvation. He's telling them now, start living like it, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put on that new man. What new man? You get to wear the garment of Jesus. It's Christ manifesting his life in you. When? When you learn to die to self by saying yes to him. When you come before him and say, God, yes, you are right. This is of my flesh, and it's wicked, and it's sinful. Now, God, will you replace me? Will you allow me to wear that garment that you gave to me at salvation? Will you allow my wife to see you in me? Will you allow my husband to see you in me? In me. Oh God, 
I don't want them to see me. I have no business defending that garment. You wore it to the cross. Now, would you manifest your person and your character in me? Now, I want to explain something to you in the Greek language. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Wayne, don't use the Greek words. Okay, I won't use a Greek word, but I'm going to use a tense that we don't have, a voice. You have active voice in English. You have the pa uh, present tense. You have a lot of these things, but you don't, we don't have a middle voice. Each of these verbs here, when he says in reference, lay aside the old self and put on the new self, that's middle voice. So what in the world is middle voice? It's a good thing for you to know. <laughs> Maybe one of these days you'll appreciate what I've tried to tell you in that. If I looked over at that empty chair right there and I said, chair, I command you, you get yourself over here right now. Come on. Put it in active voice, imperative mood. Imperative is a command. Active voice, make your mind up and get over here now. <laughs> and you look at me and say, you're the dumbest preacher we've ever been around in my life. You, that chair can't get over there. Middle voice, which we don't have. Middle voice says, I'm inviting you, chair, to come over here, but I know you can't get here by yourself, so I'm going to have to come over and pick you up and carry you over here. You can't do it by yourself. Somebody's got to enable that to happen. Middle voice. Put off the old man. Okay, I'll put him off. There you go. No, you can't do it. It only happens as you bow. And if you've not said yes to Jesus, then you've not said no to your flesh yet. You've got to say yes to him first. Then he, not you, begins to produce his character from the inside out. Do you know what the difference is in Christianity and religion? Religion changes your behavior on the outside. It can't change your heart on the inside. And only the Holy Spirit of God can dress me in the character that my wife is looking for every day. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. I can't blame her. I can't blame my financial situation. I can't blame anything else. I've got to blame me. I'm the problem. I'm either in God's will or I'm in His way. Now get out of His way. And say yes to him. That's the first thing Peter tells them. If you're going to grow, confess your sin. Get that garment off of you. And you can't do it unless you're in a prone position in your heart. You don't have to be down in, a, in your heart. Bowed before him. Yielded to him. Then he starts beginning to manifest his character in your life. And all of a sudden, something happens in your marriage. <laughs> All of a sudden, they don't see you anymore. Your behavior begins to change. You give up your bass fishing. <laughs> All of a sudden, what? He gave up what? Got rid of the television. What? Can't watch Kentucky play anymore. They're broadcast every night twice. If you don't see it the first time, they'll replay it. Are you kidding me? Man, there must be a God around here somewhere. Because I know him. He could never do that. You ever notice how much counseling some people go through? I think, I think some people... Just go to counseling because they enjoy counseling. <laughs> I mean, what are you doing today? Well, I'm going to eat. I'm going to counseling. Woo-hoo-hoo, -hoo, going to counseling. That's 3 o'clock. I'll look forward to that. Oh, I used to weigh almost 300 pounds. <laughs> so I could pick on people like I was. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not meaning to. Diana's over there going. <laughs> and we went to a Weight Watchers uh, thing. Me and a buddy of mine, <laughs> we're going to lose some weight. And we went at noon. I don't know why we went at noon, because I guess that was a better time to go. And there's probably 20 ladies in there, and some of them been in there 15 years. I lost four pounds. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> after the first two weeks, I lost 16 pounds, and they wanted to throw us out of the place. <laughs> hey, by the way, by the way, that's not my issue tonight, because some people, that's, that's a problem. They can't lose. I'm not picking on anybody. But are you hearing what I'm trying to say? What I'm trying to say is your behavior changes on the outside. 
only to the degree that you're surrendered on the inside. And if you're not surrendered on the inside, look out, look out. It's going to show up on the outside in your behavior, in your behavior. Okay, so the first thing you do, first thing you do, stop living as if you're not saved. Just stop living like that. Just stop. Secondly, now get into the Word of God. You see, you don't just get into the Word of God. It's, you've dealt with what's there. It's kind of like going hunting. And some people get that, uh, what they call, uh, uh, what is it called when you, when you can't shoot it? It's called buck fever, buck fever. We had a guy in one of my hunting classes that I did, and he said, you know what? I got buck fever so bad that I saw a deer track and shot it. <laughs> but you get that buck fever. Why do you get buck fever? One of the reasons is because you've got, uh, you're afraid of what's going to happen. Uh, when you pull that trigger, you're just nervous that you're going to miss it. But the other one is, there could be a flaw in your gun. And that's kind of like sin in your life. You're not going to go any further. The picture's not going to come complete until you deal with that first. All right, I admit it. God, I admit it. There is sin in my life, all right? Now, the second thing. Now, get into the Word of God. He says in verse 2 and 3, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it, now notice, only by it, you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord like newborn babies. You ever notice how a baby, when it's born, just craves milk? Uh, there must be a seminar while he's in the womb that they have for, for unborn babies, and they tell them, now listen, when you come out, you, you, you're, to, to, you're supposed to you want milk. Well, that's what you need to start off with. Now, do we get it? And we take a test, and everybody either passes or fails. No. They are just born with it. With birth comes what? Comes a hunger. Two o'clock in the morning, they don't care if you're asleep. I want milk and I want it now. And they want to be fed. All right. Their life depends upon it. Now, understand what I'm about to say. People that are spiritually born have a hunger that comes with a package. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm just, I'm, hey, I'm just talking, Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. When you look at what we call Christianity in America and at people that don't want to hear the Word of God, what does that begin to indicate at some point? Because you're born again with a hunger for the Word of God. Now, you kind of like, you know, regular physical hunger. You start eating junk food, and what happens? You don't have a hunger anymore for the right thing. Maybe that's happened. I don't know. I don't know. But until we individually get into the Word of God, we're going no further in our marriage. It's going to be whatever. We're going to fake it. We'll fake it until Jesus comes back. But it won't be what God's designed it to be. Individually, wife, individually, husband, we have got to get into the Word of God. And when you get into it, it begins to do its work in your life. That's what we talked about last week. They long for milk, the pure milk of the Word. You know what the word pure means? Without deceit. Isn't that interesting? It will never lead you astray, ever. You can never go into this book, even though it says things your flesh never wants to hear, and it will lead you astray. Never will it lead you astray. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Why don't you turn over there just a minute. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And watch. How much scripture is inspired by God, by the way, in the first verse? All of it. Now, did you realize when this was written, they didn't have it all yet? That's prophetic. <laughs> all scripture, what we have, what's being written, is inspired by God. God breathed. In other words, none of it came from man. 
None of it came from man. And it's profitable. The word profitable means it's useful. It's helpful. So if I've got a problem in my marriage, where do I run? I run to the Word of God. Why? It's going to help me in that area. For teaching, and that's to show us what track we ought to be on. Because it'll tell you, once you see that, you'll know whether you're on the right track or not. And then secondly, for reproof. And that's to show us when we get off track. It'll show us in a minute, whether it be in your marriage, in your finances, or whatever it is. For correction, it shows us how to get back on track. And then for training in righteousness, to show us how to stay on track. Now, that's what the Word of God's for. Why would me as a husband, if I'm having difficulty in my marriage, why in the world would I want to run to God and run to His Word? God's the only one has got the plan, and the Word's the only thing that won't deceive me. It won't lead me on a trail that's going to pull me off what the focus is. He says, so that, verse 17, the man of God, and that's, 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 that doesn't have to be, it can be generic in the sense of whatever person of God, may be adequate, which means complete or qualified, sufficient to complete, it means to, which means complete or quali qualify entirely for no, and nothing lacking for every good work. Now remember, I don't want to confuse you, but the only good works that God says are good works are that which he produces. So the man is going to be equipped and ready for the journey. He's got to be in the Word of God, because the Word of God is the only thing that can show him the track, show him when he gets off track, show him how to get back on track, and show him how to stay on track. So only when we're saying yes to Christ, which is dying to self, what we talked about last week, and we are longing for the pure milk of the Word of God, are we growing as God wants us to grow. And God begins to speak to us in His Word. Now, don't get mystical with this. <laughs> You've heard about the person, God, what do you want me to do? And he opened his Bible and pointed down and says, go thou and hang yourself, you know. <laughs> and, uh, or Judas went out and hanged himself. He said, well, that's not good. And he looked over here and went, he said, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> that's, not, that's not it. <laughs> but I do know people that do it that way. That's not to what we're talking about. But as you get into the Word, remember, it's not for information. It's for transformation. Let the Word get into you. It's not you just getting into the Word. It's the Word getting inside of you. Because if you're only in the Word, it'll make you arrogant. And all of a sudden, you'll take the Word and beat up your spouse with it because they don't know as much as you do. It's not supposed to be for beating somebody with. It's to be for changing you in, li in life. And God begins to change you. What happens is you don't even look at your marriage the same way anymore. You don't even look at your spouse the same way. They may not have changed. <laughs> But you've changed, and that's the whole key to the triangle. As we walk in vessels this way, God draws us closer and closer this way. Well, I wanted Dinah to come up and share a little bit. It's hot under these lights. I just want you to know that. Woo, it's hot up here. <laughs> I want Dinah to come, and I want her to share a little bit about when, when the Word began to impact her life, okay? When I used to hear Wayne teach and preach about get in the Word, and sometimes in messages years ago, he'd say, get in the Word, get in the Word, get in the Word, and I think, so, okay, that's what I'm going to do this week, because that's what my husband said, and that's what he preached in, I'm going to get in the Word. Well, I would open up my Bible, and I didn't know where to read. I didn't know, have you ever been there? You want to get in the Word, but you don't know what to do. Well, then you've uh, joined a Bible study group. So you do that for six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks, and then that session's over, and, and so you're not in the Word. Well, there are so many wonderful tools out today. 
um, the one that I love the most, and I thought I'd just share this with you tonight since he has already said that, is there is um, a read through the Bible in a year. Any of you have that, have that copy? Yes, several of you do. What I love about that is every day when you have your time where you're going to read God's Word, you know where to turn because it's February the 3rd. So you turn in your Bible to February the 3rd and you read that. Um, then if you m even miss a few days, um, you can't say you read through the Bible if you've missed a few days, but if you do, then you just pick up where you are. And um, my daughter is doing this this year, and so she said, oh, Mom, I'm two weeks behind, and I, I can't get caught up. And I said, don't worry about being two weeks behind. Start today. Begin today. And I would so encourage you to do that. And the, the three things that God has shown me in doing this is the first one is when you're not in God's Word, you, we have a tendency to see ourselves as better than anybody else. But when you get in God's word and you see the truth that he says about who he is and about how we are, then it makes you realize, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm so unworthy to be in your presence. And the only way I can be in your presence is because Jesus suffered so and shed his blood for us. And it makes you be more humble because you see yourself the way God sees you. Another thing is I, I have been so amazed at, that God says things are sin, and they are, and he never changes on that. And sin must be dealt with. And if we're not willing to deal with sin, then we're going to suffer because God wants us to be holy and pure before him as he enables us to be. And then the other thing is God's marvelous and unfailing love. He loves and loves and loves and you are so loved tonight and maybe you had a, a portion of your day and you didn't feel loved by anybody maybe the you you do everything you can for your children and maybe they just throw it back in your face and you don't feel loved but we can walk in the fact that God is love and he does love us so uh, let me encourage you in that and then when it, you ever hear your preacher say get in the word you say I know exactly how to do that so I, I encourage you in that approximately three months after we were saved we were living in Jackson Mississippi and I'll, I'll share this with you and then we'll be closed it was near the end of the month and we both knew that there was not enough money to pay the house payment Have you ever been there Maybe you're there now. <laughs> we, we so understand things like that. One of the main causes of divorce in a marriage is because of financial reasons. You usually will have, you, when you marry, you'll have an outgoing one, and you'll have one that is uh, more of an introvert. You'll have uh, one that is a spender and one that likes to save. Uh, you'll have one that is on time and one that is late. And so God is constantly working on us to change us into the person that he wants us to be. But um, if you're in here tonight and you're struggling with your finances like we were so many years ago, we knew that there was not enough money to pay this house payment. And it was the last week of the month. And this was in the month of July. So Wayne was going on a youth camp. And in those days, we didn't have cell phones. Now, there may be some of you. Is there anybody in this group that grew up with cell phones? Okay, yes, back there. Okay, I knew there'd be someone in here. Um, they don't even know what life is like apart from a cell phone. <laughs> when, when we had our children, our phones in those days were attached to the wall. So, and you couldn't reach your child because they would get far enough from you and they would be jumping on the bed 
or getting in the refrigerator, getting in the, in the pickle jar and spilling sweet pickle juice all over the floor or whatever, and you're going like this and you cannot get to them. So we did not have a cell phone in that day and he went off out of the city to take our youth to youth camp. Well, he left early on a Monday morning and uh, Monday evening I had put the children to bed and I was really distraught because I did not know what we were going to do to be able to get the money to pay the house payment because there was no money. So I sat down and I opened up my Bible and um, now I had been saved just three months so I didn't know about God speaking to us in his word because he had never spoken to me uh, and I'd never spent time in the word either. So I opened the, the Bible and, and this particular translation it, it just had a helps in the front and it said things like if you are suffering from uh, anger read this if you are suffering from jealousy read this passage if you are worried read this passage if you are suffering from anxiety read this passage so I thought oh my I need to read all of these <laughs> but <laughs> I was in a mess then and I am in a mess now God just has to work on me all the time but let me as you just sit there tonight I would have you turn to um, this passage but I want th this these are the words of Jesus Christ and they're so dear and it shows you his heart for us. I want you to just listen. You can jot down the passage. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. All right, so I, I prayed to the Father, and I said, please um, speak to me and let me know what I'm supposed to do about not being able to pay the house payment. And um, Wayne's mama was alive. His dad is, was with the Lord, and we knew she didn't have money. And my parents still had children at home, and we knew they didn't have money. So there was nobody, and we had poor friends. <laughs> so there was no one that we could turn to, to um, for help. So sometimes that's the best place to be, because when you're desperate and you know there's no one else that can help you, then you do the thing that you're supposed to have done in the first place, and that is look up to the Father and cry out unto him. So I opened my Bible and I read these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You ever have a problem with things? If you live in America, you probably have had that, experienced that. Maybe you're going through that now. When we were first married, we'd always get out in the car and go for a drive and look at houses that we could never have afforded. <laughs> but it was so much fun. Or you'd go to the car lot and you'd look, just look and dream and see what you could have. And then credit cards came out and, and then it messed us all up because we chose to use those and like I said last week Wayne was a lover of credit cards and um, so he was always finding something fun to do but the scripture goes on and says for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the lamp of the body is the eye if therefore your eye is clear your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in you is darkness how great is the darkness and that evening I was in the dark as to our circumstances. And the, the verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And Jesus goes on to say, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious. 
for your life. And God spoke to me in that verse. The first words God ever spoke to me, apart from my being saved and his calling me, enabling me to hear him, was do not be anxious. And you know, I've used that verse so many times because I have a tendency to be anxious. You know, Wayne is much more calm than I am. And oh, I just would love to live in his body. It would just be so wonderful. And I often tell him, I know I'm anxious, and I know I'm not supposed to be, but you just don't know what it's like to live in my body. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe in your marriage, and it'd be a hard thing if you were anxious. All right, so this, listen at these words, and let Jesus minister to you this very night, even those, though these words were spoken many, many years ago. Jesus said, for this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And I, this verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. And when I read that, I often think of Jesus standing there teaching the multitudes. And I believe birds just flew overhead, and he just said, look at the birds of the air as he was standing there, that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? You gals know all about that. Um, we just like different things at different times, and there have been times in my life, there was a time when I had two outfits, and I wore one one Sunday and one the next, and I was teaching um, little children in, um, I don't know, children's church, and one little gal said, why do you wear the same, same clothes every Sunday and the same shoes? And uh, I'm glad I was a believer, because I said, this is what God has provided for me now, and this is what I wear. So it says, and why are you anxious, Jesus said, and why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, the richest man in the world, in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Did you have a faith issue today? I did. And Jesus could be saying to me tonight, and he already has, don't be anxious. You have such little faith. And we deal with that all the time. And then as I close, Jesus says, do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, meaning all the nations of the world eagerly seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, listen to this. This will speak to each one of us in here tonight. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, I want you to know that I was 27 years old when I read this passage for the first time. I was 27 years old when God spoke to me from his word for the first time. And I was thrilled. And as soon as I finished reading, there I was sitting in our, our living room and dining room. The furniture that we had in there we had paid for with cash because we had sold a home and had recently moved there. So whatever we made off the home, we spent it on living room, dining room furniture. And um, 
We were so pleased with that. And uh, now, today, as I think back on what it really looked like, <laughs> you know, you could have given it away without trying to sell it. But the very first thing that I had after I read this passage of scripture was God said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And the very next thing that God said to me in that still small voice, did not hear anything audible, but I knew God said, sell your living room and dining room furniture and you will have enough money to make your house payment this month. Well, Wayne was out of town, no cell phone. He was at youth camp. <laughs> so I said, Lord, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So I woke up the next morning, early that morning, and I called the newspaper and I put it, uh, an ad in the newspaper that I had living room, dining room furniture to sell. So that was a Monday night that God spoke to me. Tuesday morning, I called the newspaper. Wednesday morning, it came out in the newspaper. Wednesday evening, everything in my living room and dining room were gone. And I was thrilled because I had money in my hands to pay the house payment. Well, Wayne came home on a Friday evening. <laughs> and as he got to the door, I, I was quick to be there at the door <laughs> before he entered the house. And I said, I put, and I don't remember, and I told him tonight on the way over here, I so wish I remembered the amount. And I said, I, I deposited X amount of money in the bank today, X amount of dollars. And he said, well, how did you do that? And I said, well, I sold our living room and dining room furniture. <laughs> and you know, he did not get upset. And he's so wonderful to me. And I, I just praise God for you, darling, because you allow me, with Christ's love, me, me through you, you allow me to be who I am. And he always has. Now, I try to change him. <laughs> so I'm not like that. <laughs> but, um, but, but he taught me by example, by his example. And now, now I'm so much more willing to let him be who he is. And, um, and I, so I told him and, and he was thrilled. He was absolutely thrilled. And um, so we realized that if we didn't have money for this month to pay the house payment, we're not going to have money to pay it the next month. So we prayed together, and God told us to sell the house and move to an apartment. And that's what we did. And um, I just want you to know that living as unto the Lord, seeking to be obedient in the things that he shows us in the scriptures, bring joy that you cannot measure. And so let me just encourage you in here tonight, um, get with your spouse. And one time we did this, and then I close. I, I took a piece of paper to Wayne, and I said, I want you to write down anything that God brings to your mind that you would like for me to work on. And I said, and I'm going to do the same for you. And, um, and, but the rule was, you, you cannot get upset with the other person. You just have to receive it as from the Lord. You can talk about it, but you cannot get angry. And we did that. And the growth that came from that when we were willing to be honest with each other. And um, I just hope that some of these things in the scriptures that Jesus told us tonight about not being anxious, I, I pray that that will calm your anxious heart. Because if I have a tendency to be anxious, then there are those in here that have that as well. And let me encourage you, as Jesus spoke to the multitudes many, many years ago, he's speaking to you this very evening. God bless you. Well, you can see who needs the most work in our family. <laughs> I'm used to offending somebody and dying is putting the pieces back together. 
You know, it's just changed our whole walk. It's changed our whole walk. Yes, Lee? That's right. She sure is. Matter of fact, so she, what Lee said was she's the best part of my ministry, and she's exactly right. Matter of fact, when I came here, they said, uh, <laughs> we want to meet Dinah. So when they met Dinah, they, they called me. That's amazing. <laughs> it was kind of a struggle up to that point. <laughs> well, basically what we're trying to share with you is where we are in our journey. And uh, uh, remember the triangle. I, I, I can't stress it enough. I use it every marriage ceremony I ever do. Very few people pay attention to it. I'm trying to tell them. Don't look at your spouse. They're not your problem. Look in a mirror and start walking with the Lord and watch the difference of your marriage. But you can't grow unless you're here. It's one thing to come to church and hear it taught or whatever. It's another thing to get into it for yourself. In fact, that's when it holds all of us accountable. This, this accountability stuff is good, but I tell you what, the thing that holds us accountable is God's Word. That's the key. And uh, so I just really encourage you. Thank you, Diana. It's been a joy and a great journey. And we're best of friends to this day. And I can truthfully say that. And really, she's put up with me. You talk about me putting, doing anything. It's, she's put up with me. But uh, thank you for coming tonight. And I want you to know, next week, the key of releasing. Once you get dying down, once you're believing, one dying and growing, watch what's going to happen. You're releasing what you already have within you. It's not a matter of getting more. It's a matter of releasing what he gave you. You never get any more of God than you get the moment you get saved. The problem is you don't need any more of him. He needs a whole lot more of us. Watch what he does to complete his design in your life. Watch what he'll do. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.